How many of you guys know that uh, we live in a culture that is, um, is all about production? We like production in our culture, right? And it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Like, you're paid. Like, if you have a job, you're paid to produce something, right? I'm not talking about, like, lights, camera, action, production. I'm talking, like, you go to work, and you're paid, hopefully, you do your job well, and you get paid for whatever you do. Like, if you're a construction worker, then you, you do whatever you do. You go there, you swing a hammer, you put up drywall, you clean stuff up. Whatever you're doing, you're building stuff. That's what you produce. If you're an accountant, you're on Excel spreadsheets all day long, crunching numbers. Whatever you, if you're a student, you're, you're called to produce some grades, right? At the end of the, at the, end of the semester, like you gotta take, a, take some tests and produce good grades. If whatever you do, um, you are in the, we're all in some sort of uh, production mindset, am I right? And our world works like that. And our culture works like that. And nothing wrong with being a part of this uh, this society, capitalistic society, all good, nothing bad about that. What, but what, what, I'm, what I do think happens a lot of times is that we look at production and the kind of the expectation to produce results. We look at that and we start looking at production and we look at it and we take that same mindset and we look at it and we compare it to our faith. And we start thinking, here's the concern, that we start thinking that when it comes to my faith in God, that I have to have the same production mindset. Like I need to produce something for God in order for the results to get me in good standing with God. In other words, we think that our, whatever we produce for God determines how much he loves us. And that's, that's actually a, a scary place to be because here's what happens. We begin to think that if I'm gonna be in good standing with God, then I have to be at a certain production level in his kingdom. Like I have to have, return on my invest, like I have to hit those numbers. I gotta hit, like you're in sales, like you got someone telling you like, hey, we need you to hit these numbers and that's okay. But in God's economy, that can be very, very slippery slope. And what can end up happening, here, watch this. We end up comparing ourselves to other people in our production for God. And we either get very proud of our own selves, like look at me. I'm gonna give to the kingdom offering. I'm gonna give, you know, I, I read my Bible every day and I pray every day. And we can either get puffed up and start thinking of ourselves as better than, or what often happens, we compare ourselves to other people and we start looking at our production versus their production. We go, I don't know if I measure up to that person. I don't know if I measure up to him or to her. And we end up playing this comparison game. And let me tell you something. Comparison is the thief of your joy. Your joy is, shouldn't be contingent on whether or not you're better than or worse than. Like you and I end up sometimes, if we're not careful, comparing ourselves to other people. And we start looking at other people like that's God's first round draft pick. And I'm like... <laughs> I'm like the 16th round, 48th pick. Like I'm like, like they, they turn off, they stopped, you know, showing the footage on ESPN too. Like you're like the last pick on the, the last round of drafts. Like you start feeling that way. And I just wonder if maybe some of us have a, a mindset where we actually look at our lives with God and we don't feel like we're quite measuring up. We don't feel like our, abilities are good enough, or we feel like maybe just maybe God isn't even super stoked about us being on the team. 
And maybe you felt like that. Maybe you felt like that at church before. Maybe you felt like that sitting in a chair where you've listened to a sermon or you've watched someone, uh, you know, tell a God story. Have you ever been there like someone's like, man, I'm gonna tell you what God did in my life. I was walking down the mall and I saw a guy and I just led him to the Lord sitting on the bench. You're like, what? Yeah, the, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and I just led him to Jesus right there. And now he's off drugs and he's, he's living for Jesus and he's planting an or he's starting an orphanage in Africa. You're like, are you kidding me? And you listen to people sometimes in their stories and you start comparing your own results, your net results, and you're like, I just don't know if my life looks like that. I don't know if I'm actually living that same life. And we begin to think, man, maybe God doesn't even want me on his team. I'm definitely not a first round draft pick. I'm definitely not that person. I'm definitely not a first round draft pick because of, I don't know, maybe you have a divorce. Maybe you're like, dude, there's no way God can use me now because I'm divorced or uh, there's no way God can use me now because of my addiction that I still struggle with sometimes. Maybe you're feeling here, you're sitting here and you go, there's no way God wants to use me because I still look at pornography or things I shouldn't look at on the internet and I still struggle with that. There's no way God wants to, I know I'm only eight minutes in. I just said, I just said, I talked about, I went there. Okay, guys, look to your neighbor and say, he went there. Now just ignore the other person. <laughs> don't look at your other neighbor. You're welcome. And maybe you're like, I just keep struggling in these areas and I'm definitely not someone God can use because man, I got mad yesterday and I cussed somebody and I, I just got really angry. Like how many of you guys struggle with anger a little bit? Where are my honest people at? Come on, God knows if you're like, where, who struggles with anger, honestly? Come on, okay, thank you, me too, I'm with you. I got mad the other night, I was so mad last night because over something so dumb, the Mexican food on the corner by our house gave my kids chicken taquitos and not beef taquitos. And I was like, I got home and, I, and I've had a lot of issues with this Mexican spot. I love the food, but the service, eh. I'm not gonna tell you where it is because I don't wanna shame them publicly. Brito Loco. Um, <laughs> I love their food though. But I got chicken taquitos and I was like, oh, and I got really, and my, my kids were like, I'm like, I'm like, daddy's fine. I'm just gonna go take a, gonna take a walk. And I got ups, I got, why do we, and I, so you start thinking about your own life and you're like, dude, I got stuff in my life that I, I still struggle with and there's no way God can use me if I'm doing that. Can I just tell you something? Like we have this idea in our mind that God is only building his church through people that can produce perfect results and have perfect lives. And that couldn't be, the, that couldn't be further from the truth. The Bible is full of a bunch of people that were just available for God and newsflash for you. God is more concerned about your availability than your abilities. Amen? Like he doesn't, like we're like, oh, if I could just get all the right stuff and have all the right things to say and all the right prayers and you ever pray with someone and their prayers are so much better than yours? You ever feel like insecure about your prayers? You're like, oh God, I guess I have to. I remember when we first started praying, uh, I started like praying in public uh, at a college group and they went as, made us go around. Do you ever do that, the circle, the hand prayer? And then if you don't want to pray, they just tell you to squeeze the person's hand. And that's like the cue. So I was a hand squeezer for like a good six months. I was like, Lord, I, don't, I ain't going to talk to you in front of these people. Because I don't know what to say. Because I got like the guy speaking King James Version. Thine is the glory, Father. And Lord, we pray thou will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as Habakkuk says, chapter 2, verse 14. And you're like, what? I didn't know that was a book in the Bible.
Maybe God doesn't really need your ability. Maybe he just needs your availability. And maybe just maybe God just needs people to say, here I am. Here's what I got. I'm going to give. I'm going to live in such a way that I'm just available to be used by God. Because the Bible's full of people that were not good enough in the world's eyes, but they were available to God and he used them in a mighty way. I'll give you a few examples. Moses. Moses was the deliverer of God's people. A lot of people, when you read the Old Testament, you're like, oh yeah, you know, you know, the Old Testament, let my people go, Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, okay, you can go. We, don't, we forget that Moses was a murderer. This isn't like Lord of the Rings, guys. <laughs> this isn't like a fairy tale. Like Moses literally beat a man to death. And you're like, well, God can't use me because I still struggle with it. No, no, he beat a human being to death and God still, we still talk about Moses and he's an amazing man of God, but yet, but yet God used someone that was on Egypt's most wanted list to accomplish his perfect will to be a deliverer of his people. A nation was saved because Moses was just available. Come on. We see this happen with uh, David. King David was a, a man after God's own heart. If you go to Israel today, he's still revered amongst the Jews. Like people are like, oh, King David, King David, King David. Watch. David, we know this, David was an adulterer who slept with Bathsheba. Then he got her pregnant, not his wife. Then he said, okay, I got to fix this. I'm going to call Uriah off the front lines. Uriah, go have uh, relations with your wife. That's what you need to do right now. Go, go hang out with your wife. Uriah's like, no, nah, I can't do it. My men are out on the battlefield. I got to stay strong. I'm going to sleep right here at the door. And David's like, oh, crud. Dang it. So he goes and he says, here, here's a note. I need you to run this back to the front lines for me. Gives Bathsheba's husband a note. He doesn't even look at it. He puts it in his little man purse, I don't know, a satchel. <laughs> I don't know. And he goes and he gives this note to the, to the first frontline officer. And the note, he opens the note. It says, make sure you put Uriah the Hittite at the front line so he dies. And sure enough, he sealed his own fate by delivering a note that would have him killed. David did that. David did that, and yet God used him to be available, and he still built an amazing kingdom, and God, in spite of all that, God still used King David to show, the, show Israel that, man, God is looking for people that are available, not perfect people. He did it with Moses. He did it with David. He did it with Mary, the mother of Jesus. We're going to celebrate uh, Christmas Eve here. You know, we're going we're gonna to do the whole thing. We're going to have two weeks of Christmas, uh, a Christmas, mini Christmas series. We're going to be here. Uh, mark your calendars, December th uh, the 24th, right? Yeah, Christmas Eve. We'll be here at uh, 4.30, one service, one big family service. We'll be here, candlelight service. It's going to be awesome. Mary, the mother of Jesus, this is the Christmas story, an angel appears to her and says, Mary, blessed are you and highly favored for you are gonna give birth to the son of God. Subtitle, but you're gonna have a baby before you're, before you're married. To which Mary was like, wait a minute, I'm highly favored. I'm available, but, but here's what's happening. I didn't know I was gonna have to go around and be like a Maury Povich episode and be like, Joseph, you're not the father. Imagine trying to tell your husband, hey, um, God is the baby, or God is the baby's father. <laughs> He's like, sure. And then sure enough, an angel confirmed it and everything was good. Here's what I'm saying. God uses ordinary people 
to do extraordinary things. God uses people that don't have all the perfect abilities, but he uses them with their availability. Amen? Okay, so transition. Here's what I want to talk about for today, just for a few minutes, then we'll go eat lunch. When we look at faith, when we look at the people that God chooses to use, he rarely uses the, the people that we would look at and go, that's the person I would use. He rarely looks at the pedigree of the person and says, okay, this person has all the, the qualifications of, you know, he told Peter, hey, Peter, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't go, who's the most influential, uh, you know, person in the room? Who's the person that has the highest pedigree? Who's the person that has the, the best degree, the best resume? He didn't do that. He actually took a ragtag bunch of men and says, I'm gonna make these men into fishers of men. I'm gonna create them. They're not the best, but they were available. God needs your availability. I've heard it said God likes fat people. What? <laughs> faithful, available, and teachable. You got any faithful people, available people, teachable people? Look to your neighbor and say, you're fat. No, I'm just saying, don't say that. <laughs> Tag someone online right now. If you're watching online, no, don't do that. Faith, he wants available people. And here's what we see. In, we're gonna see in a story in, in the New Testament where Jesus and his disciples converge with an individual and the miraculous happens simply because, watch this, not because they had it all figured out, but because they were available. This individual was available. John chapter six, verse five, here we go. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming, saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? We find out in verse 10, there was 5,000 men and about, most scholars agree, there was about 20,000 people in that crowd. Men, women, and children, about 20,000 people all together. It's incredible. So here's what we see. Jesus looks up and sees the crowd coming and I love this because Jesus's ministry was incredible. People flooded to Jesus. Here's why. Jesus loved on people that nobody wanted to love on. Jesus was, was performing miracles, signs, and wonders, and it flew in the face of the religious people. They're like, what is this guy doing? He can't do that. And Jesus is like, I just did. Jesus didn't just, he didn't, he didn't really irritate the non-religious folks. He irritated the people that thought they were close to God, but he came to show them that they were simply not, they were pushing people away from God, not helping them get closer. And he was like, listen, guys, you're, if you're wanting to see what the kingdom is like, you're looking at it. But Jesus used ordinary people to do some extraordinary things. And in this moment, Jesus is loving on people. And can I just add, if we little caveat here, if we become a church that loves on people that nobody loves, loves on, if we're a church that becomes a, a church that believes for the miracles can happen, like we start praying for miracles, we start praying for God to break through into people's lives, I believe we will not have buildings big enough to contain all the people that want some of that God because I serve a God that's still in the business of loving people that are broken, far off, full of shame, full of guilt, that, want, that need to be restored. Come on. Let's be a church that does that. Let's be a church that, that, that is the hands and feet of Jesus. And if we would do that, I think we'd see more miracles. And watch this. So we see Jesus, 20,000 people coming 
up the road. And it's always interesting to me what catches the eye of Jesus and what the disciples ignore. Isn't it interesting? It's interesting to me what catches Jesus' attention and what the disciples don't even see. See, in this moment, what caught Jesus' attention was not necessarily, oh no, what are we gonna do with all the people? What caught his attention was this. He goes, I see a bunch of people. How am I gonna feed them? See, what gets your attention will ultimately get your affection. So what, 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 what gets your attention will ultimately get your affection. I'll explain. Jesus saw the crowd of people coming down. He goes, Philip, immediately, hey, how are we gonna feed them? Attention, meet the need. Attention goes to affection. You got my heart. Attention goes to how can I help? See, when Jesus rolls, I think it's crazy. Jesus sees the need before anyone else. And here's what he does. So he goes and he sees the crowd and what gets his attention gets his affection. So here's the question for all of us today. We have to ask ourselves, what is getting our attention? What is it in your life right now that is getting the most mental real estate in your life? Where are you putting most of your mental energy? And I'll tell you what, for most of us, it's probably on stuff that is at best distracting and sometimes it can be unhealthy. Comparing ourselves to other people on social media, scrolling mindlessly through our apps. I mean, we all do this looking at the news, filled with fear, trying to figure out, oh, okay, all of our attention. And sometimes God's saying, I need to, you to focus on the right things because if you focus on the right things, then your affection will be directed to the right places, amen? So watch this. What's getting your attention? Maybe it's your job, which is, it's okay. But is it getting more attention than your family or your relationship with God? I talk to people all the time. They have everything they need. They crush their goals for the year. They're doing better than they ever have. They have more money in the bank account than they ever thought. But you ask them, how are you doing? Like, how are you really? They're like, man, I feel tired. I feel like I'm, I, I have more than I've ever had, but I feel more empty than I ever had. I, when I was young in my faith, young in my walk with God, I didn't have a whole lot, but now I have more, pro, more money, more resource, and I have more problems, but I feel like I'm, I'm losing the things that I once had, which were peace, the peace of God the intimacy with my father, I'm no longer there. And I'm like, where did your attention go? It probably went off of your God and onto other things because where your attention goes, your affection will follow. You track with me? Maybe it's social media, the news. Maybe if you're a student, it's, it's your professors, your attention's on your professors trying to please and meet the expectations. Nothing bad, but if left unchecked, it could go on and on and on and eventually you're like, man, I used to be on fire for God and I used to be so, so locked in, but now I just feel like I'm kind of all over the place. Apple knows this principle. <laughs> if it, Apple can get your attention, they can get your affection, right? Like I got the iPhone, right? I got the 12 and every year I signed up so I can get a new one. Because they know it's, the 13 came out, the 14 will come out, the 15 will come out. Um, Instagram knows if they can get your attention to pay attention to your phone, they got your affection. Uh, uh, businesses know this right now, Black Friday. Anyone do any Black Friday shopping? No judgment, it's okay. Anyone can do some Cyber Monday stuff? I'm gonna do some Cyber Monday shopping, get my Christmas stuff done. Okay, 
Everyone knows right now in the season, if they can get your attention, they can get your affection. My kids are finding this out because, true story, we've never had cable as a married couple, ever. This is not like a low-key pastor flex, like, oh, I'm so holy. Like, no, I'm just cheap, okay? Um, <laughs> frugal, I should say. I didn't want to spend 100 bucks, and when we first got married, we couldn't afford it. I was like, babe, we, we ain't going to do cable. Um, and so we just got used to not having cable, and that's okay. We had Netflix for a while, you know, we had Hulu, and... Uh, so we're doing like the subscription model, right? Well, recently I had to get rid of the Hulu, like the $11 Hulu, and I got the, the $65 Hulu live TV because baseball playoffs, okay? I wanted to watch the, the Giants lose to the Dodgers. It's, it was terrible, it was terrible. Bad call, bad call, still burnt about that. My Giants didn't make it this year, but I, I watched all the playoffs and, I, and this particular brand of Hulu has commercials on it, okay? My kids didn't even know about commercials. They were like, what are these, why are there toy commercials all over the place? I'm like, oh my gosh, Stacy, we gotta cancel this right now. And what they, here's what the consumer analysts know. If they can get your kids to look at these kids, other kids playing with these awesome toys. Remember like the Nickelodeon commercials? Back in my day, it was like, you know, people playing Crossfire. Crossfire, you don't even know about that. And like, my kids want all these toys. Why? Because it has their attention. It's going, hello. So now it has their affection or it has my affection in form of I'm supposed to buy them presents or Santa's going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the question. Who's getting your attention in this season? I just wonder, does the church have your attention? Not like active church, not like, Active church is the only church. We're the best. No, no, we're just a church. I like our church. I love our church. But like the, the people of God in your life, the brothers and sisters in your life, the people that love Jesus, like the local church, like the thing that Jesus came and died for to establish, like the people of God, like do the people of God have your attention? Like do the needs of the people in your community, are you meeting those needs? Are you sowing into people? Are you being a friend to people that need a friend? Are you encouraging those that need encouragement? You're going, well, pastor, I need to be encouraged. No one's reaching out to me. No one's texting me. Can I tell you something? The Bible has this crazy way of demonstrating that when you sow into something, that you will reap the benefit of that thing. And the Bible says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, whoever sows sparingly, like I'm not like a farmer, but here's, I do understand this principle. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Here's the principle. If I only plant a couple seeds, I'm only gonna get a couple plants. And some of those might even die, especially if I plant them, because I'm not a good, I'm not a green thumb. I kill plants, that's what I do. But you know this, if, you're, if you, you, you guys understand this, if you plant a bunch of seeds and you're generous in how you sow seeds, the Bible says that you'll actually reap a harvest if you keep sowing seeds. So that you're like, what are you trying to say, pastor? What I'm trying to say is, the Bible doesn't necessarily say that he's gonna always meet like one for one. This isn't like, um, if you give a dollar, God will give you a Mercedes Benz in Jesus' name. Like, it doesn't work, I tried it. <laughs> I just wanna see if it, maybe it works. It doesn't, because um, I like those cars. But it's not how it works. This isn't like prosperity teaching. But when you sow generously into people's lives, the Bible says that you'll reap that the world of the generous grows larger and larger. That the Bible says in Proverbs, whoever, uh, 
When you, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Like, do you see the principle? When you give, there's a response, whether it's sowing seed or encouraging a friend or being a friend or being a person that forgives greatly or gives mercy generously, that will come back to you in time. So he says he saw the crowds, he had his attention, then they had their, he had their affection. So he asked Philip, how are we gonna feed them? And here's what Philip says, uh, Jesus, it's gonna take more than a half a year's wage so that everyone could have enough for even just one bite. In other words, Jesus seeing the crowds and asking the question, watch this, he created a need. Does God need anything? Does God have everything he needs? Why would Jesus create a need? Why would God ask Philip and create a need in this season? Maybe it's because by creating the need, Philip will understand something. He'll come to the logical conclusion that there isn't enough resource to meet this need. And Jesus is like, exactly. Some of you want God to take away all your needs. That's the wrong thing to pray for. Some of us, I get it. My wife recently was in the hospital. We're, we're having a baby. It's going to be awesome. He's going to be born in April. Praise God. And I, I pray, I'm still praying. Um, my wife almost went into labor about on Friday last week. It was crazy, dude. We were... She went into labor almost. The baby was like wanting to come out. We had to put her upside down and they had to go in. The surgery was like a success. The doctors like came out. I'm like, she's like sweating. The, the lady that did the surgery, Dr. Lynn. Thank you, Dr. Lynn. Thank you, God, for smart people. God uses miracles, signs, wonders, and he uses people that went to school for medical purposes. Amen? And so she's like, that was a close call, but we got him in there. Can I tell you something? And I'm just being real honest with you. The same thing happened six, seven years ago. But that time the baby didn't make it. Baby Adam's in heaven. He's seven years old. But that, that, the remains of baby Adam, we scattered in Montana de Oro. And God told me, Adam, I will not waste this pain. And that same trip, I said, God, I told Stacey, God, I feel like God's saying, we're gonna live in San Luis Obispo one day. This is gonna be our home. And she goes, me too. A year or two later, I said, I felt like the Lord said, we're gonna plant a church in slow. So what am I saying? In the process of going, God, I don't know what you're doing. I have some pain right now. I had to get close to God seven years ago and ask God, Lord, would you do something through this? Because I have a need. And even though God didn't make it up, he didn't make the miracle happen like I thought, he still worked in the need because God doesn't remove your pain. He actually wants to give you the pain as a gift so that he can move supernaturally in the midst of that pain. Because the gift is in the gap between where you're at and where you're hoping God to be. And even when God lets you down, God can still move in that pain. What if God doesn't want to remove, what if God actually is allowing you to move into a season of need so that he can show up in your life supernaturally? Are you guys still with me? 
I'm hoping I'm preaching this the way, same way God showed it to me. Jesus saw the crowd coming and going, boop, food for everybody. He could have, Jesus could have supernaturally fed every single person, but Philip, jumps, Philip goes, you know what? There's not enough resource to meet the need. I guess God's not in this. But here's what happened. Jesus wanted to do something greater in their midst. And so he needed a need, watch this, to produce the faith in them that he wanted them to have. You track with me? Jesus created the need. Why? Because where there's no need, there's no space for God to move. Maybe in this season, you need God to move. I would submit to you trying this. Instead of asking God, God, I need more of you in my life. Instead of asking God to move in all the air, like you see my relationship with my spouse, you see my financial need, you see my brokenness from my past, you see these things I'm still struggling with. God, I, I, I need you to move in these areas. I would submit to you that you would, would, you would jump into a season where you're allowing God to have more of you, not the other way around. See, God doesn't always move. He does move supernaturally and he, God, I need you help. And he'll, he'll do that. But what if God is asking you in this season, no, I don't need more of God. God, I need you to have more of me. I need you to have more of me. And you wanna know one amazing way to do that is to trust God in the areas that you value most. And I guarantee it's in your time and it's in your money. What if this season, and you're going, oh, here's the ask. No, 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 no. God doesn't want something for you. As a matter of fact, I believe God, our church is so generous. I believe God's gonna, I think we're gonna be out of debt in the next four years. I think we're not even gonna have a debt, no debt service management in the next four years. Our church is ran in the black every single month, every single year. We've never had a need ever. God is gonna move regardless. He's gonna build his church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. This is not me asking for your resource. This is me asking you to trust God and to test him and say, God, I wanna give you more of me in this season because if I trust you, if I'm available to you in this season, I believe you can use my availability way more than you can use my ability in Jesus' name, right? So it goes on. You guys know how this ends, right? We're about to have lunch. They had lunch too. Check this out. Van can come up. Another of one of his disciples, Andrew, rolls up. <laughs> I love this because Philip was like a doubter. Like he's like, God, Jesus, there's no way we can feed all these people. Like, what are you talking about? And so then Andrew's like, I got an idea. Hey, kid, pff, give me your lunch sack. <laughs> Give it to me, dude. All right. All right. Hey, uh, and here's what he says. This is Peter's brother. He goes, um, Jesus, uh, here's the little boy with, uh, he's got some five small barley loaves and he's got two fish. They're small, but uh, I don't know how far they're gonna go with this many people. I mean, there's 20,000 people. We got a little lunch sack here. It's not really much. At least he, at least he tried though, right? A for an effort. And some of us do the same thing, don't we, with our lives. We say, God, I can be available, God, but my little, like me serving or me giving or me, 
being generous. Like I, my little is not as much as that person's lot. Like I can't, I can't, this isn't gonna do, do much, is it God? And God's like, watch this. Your little in the hands of a big savior can make a big difference. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm, what am I saying? I'm saying Jesus, when we trust him with our lives, not with our best abilities, not with our perfect resumes, not with all the right things to say or do, and, and not even with all the right, you know, background or history. Some of us have a history. I got one too. We got junk in our lives that we still look back and go, I can't believe that was me. Thank God I'm not him anymore. Thank God that guy's dead, even though he tries to come back and it's like walking dead sometimes. I have to kill that guy again. And the Bible says you have to keep crucifying that thing and say, you know what? It's gone. It's dead. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new is here. I'm a new creation. And so I I, I can't believe that that used to be me, but pray Praise God, I'm brand new. And like so many of us, we look at our lives and we say, you know what? I don't think God can use this. God's saying, watch me. Watch what I can do in your life. You surrender my life, your life to Jesus, watch what he can do. You give, your, you give God another shot and you trust him again, watch what he can do in your life if you make yourself available to him. So here's, what, here's how it ends. John says in chapter six, verse 10, Jesus goes, hey, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. So we, we, we know about 20,000 with women and children. And then Jesus took the loaves, watch this. They gave Jesus the loaves. He breaks it and he gives thanks. And he says, okay. Now he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. They had their full. He did the same with the fish. In another account in the gospel, we see that the disciples were the one handing out the bread, handing out the fish. And I could just imagine that he gave them all their own equal portions. And the disciples were like, he's like, here you go, Peter. Here you go, uh, Bartholomew. Here you go, Andrew. Here you go, Judas. Uh, yeah, I know what you're gonna do. I wonder if he ever like put a little dig on Judas, like, ah, this guy right here, I love you. And he gives them all their equal amount and they go and they, they go up to this crowds, thousands of people, and they hand out food, and they're going, they're going, guys, Peter, is it going for you too? Yeah, oh my God, it just keeps coming, it keeps going. And they all had their full fill. They did not stop giving out food until everyone was full. And the Bible says they had 12 baskets left over. See, the God that I serve can do a whole lot with your little if you take it out of your hands, trust God with your talents, your time, your, your treasures, and say, God, I just wanna give you my life. It's not about money. It's about being available to be used by God, whatever it is. So whether it's a, an encouraging text to someone today or just saying to someone, I love you, bro, or just calling out the best in somebody, it's us sowing seed into other people so that God might be glorified through our availability. Amen. In this season, I'm just praying over the next few weeks, we're, we're, uh, we're just believing God to move. 
But here's what I'm actually praying for. I'm praying that you would just be available to be used by God. I'm talking like wherever you're at, in your places of business, at school, in your families, especially in your home, just ask God, God, <laughs> I know I'm not perfect. I know I mess up all the time, but here I am. Use me, God, I'm available. In Jesus' name, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you for what you're doing in our, in our midst. I pray, God, that you would remind people, Lord, that their past does not determine their future. And you know, the greatest miracle in, in scripture is not that someone, that Jesus fed 5,000 or 20,000 people. The greatest miracle is not that he gave sight to the blind. The greatest miracle is not even that he raised someone from the dead. The greatest miracle to this day is that people like you and I, who are full of, of, of sin, we've all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us has this problem called sin. And the greatest miracle is that Jesus looks at our sin and says, you know what? I see that sin and I'm wiping it away if they come to me with it and they ask for forgiveness. The greatest miracle is that Jesus loves sinners like you and I, and he can cancel out our debts. That's the greatest miracle of all. And maybe here today, your greatest need, your biggest need right now, the gap that you have is that you need a savior in your life. You, are, you came here today because you, you need to be forgiven. And here's the problem. Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. That's bad. That means if we, if we die without having our sins forgiven by, by the blood of Christ on the cross, if we die without that security, without knowing him, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, that we're separated from God, that our sin has separated us from a, a savior, not only here on earth, but for eternity. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, that if you give your life to God and you ask him to come into your heart, to, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, like he's the ruler, he's, the, he's now, I'm no longer calling the shots. Like Jesus, you're my Lord, you're my King. I surrender my life to you, you call the shots. So everything I do now is like, I don't know, what does God want me to do? That if you surrender your life to Jesus and make him the Lord and confess that he is that he rose again, you believe in your heart that he died and rose again, you'll be saved. And I'm here to tell you, that's the greatest miracle that you'll ever experience is the salvation, knowing that your life is secure and it's covered by the blood of the perfect offering, the perfect lamb, Jesus. So if you're here today, with eyes closed and heads bowed, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna make you do anything uncomfortable, but I do want you to do me a favor. If you're here today, and you're ready, you mean business with God, you're ready to surrender your life to Him. I'm gonna ask you to do something simple. In a moment, just slip your hand up and raise your hand. Say, that's me, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. If you wanna receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, on the count of three, just raise your hand and we'll pray for you. If that's you on the count of three, pop it up. One, two, three, just raise your hand right now. Say, Jesus, forgive me, amen, God sees your hand. It's awesome, amen, God sees your hand. Anybody else, you know what, that's, pray for me, Pastor. Just include me in this prayer, I, I'm ready. Amen. Let's pray this together. Nobody prays alone at our church. 
Active Church, let's pray all this, even if you're at home, pray this out loud, say this after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I give you my life. Today, I surrender to you. I make you my Lord and my Savior. I'm available. Use me today and for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's give a round of applause to everyone that made that choice.